0: This is Who You Know. Today, I I bring you uh, a recording of a talk I gave in Frank Spadali's freshman uh, seminar class at Dominican University. Uh, Frank invited me there to talk about my book, Soviet Stamps, and uh, I read passages from it and sort of gave the students... uh, some version of my story. Uh, hope you enjoy. I
1: already mentioned i uh, you know, Dimitri since, hey, Eduardo, since we're about 19 years old. Did I just get this wrong?
0: Um. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, I think so, yeah. yeah. I think I was, yeah, I was, I was I'm like a year older than you or half a year older than you, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. A year older yeah. than you.
1: You guys were with
0: Nancy. Yeah, so, yeah, we, we met in like nine... Ninety, ninety one? Yeah. Somewhere in there. Somewhere
1: on there, yeah. So and I've known him since then, close friends, we lived together. Anyways, he's gonna talk, he's gonna read from his book, right? Yeah. And then questions afterwards?
0: Or in between. Okay. We'll see how it goes. Yeah.
1: Alright, cool. So if you have questions when he's done reading something, go and ask him, that'd be great. We can have a nice, you know, discussion happening throughout the class. Dweetri? Take it away. <laughs> 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 <Well>. <laughs>
0: Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Uh, So I'm I'm mostly here to talk about this book, Soviet Stamps, which I published, uh, let's see, about three years ago, like end of 2019, beginning of 2020. But uh, before I get to it, uh, I wanted to say kind of like what led up to it, like what I was doing before. Like Frank said, uh, I went... I went to art school here in Chicago at the School of the Art Institute. Uh, before that I tried going to school art school again at Parsons in New York and that didn't work out. Uh, I was only there for one semester and that's how I ended up in Chicago. Before that uh, my family and I lived in the Boston area uh, and before that uh, we're, we came from the Soviet Union when I was seven in 1978. So. Uh, I, uh, I always, I was always sort of like drawing and painting, like I don't remember ever not doing it, it's like my whole life, but uh, at some point later on after art school, like writing started to be a, a part of my life and what kind of kicked it off was that after I graduated, after I graduated from SAIC, I moved back to Boston and I needed a job and the first job I took was being a cab driver. And I was a cab driver in Boston for three years, and then later on for another nine in Chicago. And what happened was that I couldn't just do drawings like of my passengers or like the things that they did and said, I had to start writing things down because people would just get in the cab and just unload their whole like life stories at me. So I started writing things down and I first made a zine and then I made a blog uh, and and eventually that led to a book. Uh, so my, my first book, uh, which is called, was called uh, Hack Stories from a Chicago Cab, was published in uh, 2011 by uh, University of Chicago Press. And it did pretty well, like, you know, I mean, it, it got some reviews, uh, sold some books, and, you know, I thought, I didn't know much about the publishing industry and I got really lucky with that because somebody there at the University of Chicago Press had been reading my stuff online and got interested enough to pitch it as a book idea to his bosses. But every book I've published ever since that first one has just kind of like been like pulling teeth. It's, it's been a challenge. Uh, like I thought that you know if you have a book and people like it, then you'll get agents or like a more interest. so You get. Get, get to a bigger publisher, but in in my case, everything's gone the other way. <laughs> the set uh, I, I published a second book in 2014, which was also about cab driving, We're from a small press in Chicago, which turned out to be run by a crook. Uh, it's this guy that he's still being sued by people because he didn't pay his writers. He lied to everybody, and like the more successful writers got lawyers and sued him, but. I didn't have enough money, and it would have t- just taken too much time. i sort of, like, forgot about it. So that was a really lousy experience. And, like, the, in the years that followed, you know, I, need, I wanted another project. I, I now had books in my life I was writing. I was writing book reviews also for the Chicago Tribune and then the Chicago Reader. I was doing a lot of writing. It, it had become a regular part of my life, and I wanted to write more books. But I had, you know, I had no publishing house. I had no agent, like no prospects. I had to figure out how to do this and what I wanted to do. And the next project I wanted to do, which I started probably around 2013 or so, while like while the second cab book was about to be published, was what turned into this Soviet stamps. But uh, and what this book is basically is is sort of like an immigration memoir. It's about my family moving to the United States and uh, kind of like the roots or the beginnings of how I got into making art. And because of that bad experience with the second book, I decided that I would start like doing the whole thing myself, like doing the design, doing the layout and eventually like the, the publishing too because I just got like really burned by people that I put my trust into and they really, really screwed things up, including on the second book, the, the book's designer who somehow made it like, I don't know what design program he used, but like the book looked like it was all one long word. You know, it's like a regular book, but like every, every word was matched together and it took like three of us to like sit there painstakingly took like a week or two to kind of make it look like it's sentences and paragraphs and stuff. So I figured like if somebody that got paid to do this can like fuck up a book this bad, I can do it myself too. And that's kind of what I've been doing ever since. So this is, this is one of the books that came after, after all that, all those experiences. And, uh, you know, I kept trying for a while to get somebody else to publish this thing, but, Nobody would, so I published it myself. So now I'll read you a couple of pages of the intro and uh, we'll go from there. This is the story of a guy who stayed on the sidelines and watched others without participating. The distance gave me a clear and unsentimental view. But it kept me from feeling a part of anything. Whether at a family, school, religious, or civic function, I tried to stay outside the experience. This inherent flaw, or quality depending on how you choose to look at it, has allowed me to paint and to write. I don't know how to be any other way. Is it possible to write about a thing that happened to you the same way you'd write about it happening to someone else? I'm not one to wallow in emotional depths. I worry that stirring up any of the murky garbage inside will make me unable to function and continue to make art. And that's what it's always been about for me, the work. How to maintain enough of a physical-emotional equilibrium to keep cranking things out, It's my only valid excuse for continuing to draw breath. That may sound like hyperbole, but I truly believe that a person shouldn't take up space in the world just because they can. It's not a birthright, and we're not owed anything by the universe. You have to earn your way through. Prove that you're more than an eating, pissing, shitting fucking animal. Other species live just to live much better than we do. No artwork remains from the first seven and a half years of my life, when I lived in the Soviet Union. What are left, though, are books, records, stamps, and photographs. Relics that provide clues about how I ended up the way I did. The memories of my parents also remain to help me compose picture of what I was like in the years that I myself barely um, barely what? barely recall. It's rarely in any of the works explicitly but most of my pictures are attempts to nail down some feeling of place. The where is at least as important to me as the what and certainly more crucial than the why. I've never been one to start a painting with much of an idea but one way or another most of them end up being about being in a particular place they're a record of being there it's especially important for me to get some sense of groundedness across because i've never had any firm grasp grasp on where it is i'm from i spent the first seven and a half years of my life in a country that no longer exists i didn't spend enough time there for a sense of home to have taken root My memories of the place are spotty and often augmented, if not outright supplied by my my parents, grandparents, and family friends. The stories that loved ones tell about your childhood are loaded with good, bad, and sometimes self-serving intentions. Like any story that we tell, these are really stories about ourselves. So when my mother tells about the time I nearly got crushed by a toppling cupboard, while climbing up to reach a dessert perched on its top. It's more a story about her as a mother than about me as a child. She's recounted this episode dozens of times, but I have no memory of it. The best thing I can do with such stories is to use them as jumping off points to recount the events I remember myself. Photo albums are fraught with questions too. While they pinpoint definite moments, the the significance of what they depict can be open to interpretation, speculation, and outright confabulation. I've looked at dozens of these albums to gain some sense of the events they more or less record. The one advantage I have is the passage of time. These pictures are 30 to 40 years old, so even though they are pictures of me, I have critical distance. Distance is necessary to to create any kind of art. Otherwise, emotions are too raw or close, and you're hindered by and blinded to the task at hand. Children's books were probably my first experience of art. In the Soviet Union, because of strict censorship, most writers were forced to express themselves indirectly Most commonly, the best writers went into children's literature or translation if they hoped to write anything that wasn't an outright glorification of the state. The books my parents read to me were filled with clever wordplay and hidden meanings I never caught on to. They were also filled with beautiful and stylistically varied illustrations. The marriage of word and image was introduced to me then and has never ceased being a touchstone. The shapes of the phrases as they wrapped around pictures has stayed with me as much as any idea of what the words in those stories meant. A stamp collection, started a couple years before we left for America, was the other crucial formative example of what art could be and what I'd end up devoting my life to. There are many more words than pictures in this book, but almost everything I've ever written was inspired or triggered triggered by something seen, drawn, or painted. I'll try try to trace how a seven-year-old in Moscow with his face buried in picture books became a 27-year-old in Chicago trying to figure out how to make those very same books himself. The 20-year span covered in this book includes many of the significant and insignificant events that formed me. It is a kind of scrapbook extension, the stamp collection I left behind those many years ago. So that's kind of like an intro or sets out what I'm trying to do in in this book. And I mean, I worked on the book on and off because nobody would publish it. I, I kind of, I thought I'd finished it, let's see, in 2014, then 2015, then 2017. I kept thinking I was finished, but nobody wanted it so i just kept going back into it and redoing it and adding to it subtracting from it i had i had some people some editors and some readers that would help me and stuff along the way but um i yeah eventually as i said at the top i think published it at the end of 2019 and um i don't know i mean it's still it's it's hard to say like how successful it is but there there's like a small, there's a small fan base for this book. There's a few people that it's reached, and the the ones it's reached, it sort of seems to have, uh, I don't know, met something too. Uh, it's as I say in, in the part I read, and it's like a, a recurring, recurring kind of motif is like how how do you write about yourself, like in a way from a distance and the distance being important I think really really important because I mean there are there are some writers who are really good at writing kind of from the in, inside out like from feelings or from I don't know secrets something but I'm not one of those I, I write I sort of I work from the outside I look I observe you know so how do you do that about yourself it's it's sort of like a hard trick there's a it's a hard book to write, and I, yeah, I, I go back and forth with this book. It's sort of, it's sort of difficult. Um, and uh, so the, the thing I read was the introduction. The rest of the book is sort of fragments, chapters that cover, are like the, the time that uh, my family left Moscow, and then we spent some time in, in Vienna, Austria, and then Rome, Italy, before we were allowed to move into into the united states uh like the early school years and stuff like that uh, and it ends uh with with my time in, in art school the, t- the time with with frank uh, and uh sort of like the beginnings of writing so like i say like a 20-year 20 20-year 20 span so i don't know does, does anybody have any questions comments so far or should i go on <laughs> I can read something else. Nobody? Okay. (laughs) All right. I will read, let's see what I have here in my notes. We'll talk about that, talk about that. Yeah, I I will read another chapter. So, yeah, this is, this is another thing that kind of lays out more about uh, that, feel, that feeling I have that kind of persists to now that I don't really know where I'm from. And, it's, and it, hopefully the chat, what I read, will explain why. So it's, it's called A Country That No Longer Exists. I come from a country that no longer exists. I don't mean that in any dramatic or metaphorical sense. I was born in the Soviet Union in 1970. We immigrated to the United States in 1978. Then the country collapsed in 1991. Moscow, the city where I was born, still stands, but is now the capital of Russia. On Google Street View, I've looked at the building that housed the communal apartment in which I spent my first six years but I felt no recognition seeing the facade, sidewalk, windows, no stirring of memory. When people find out where I'm from, one of the first questions they ask is whether I've ever been back. My stock answer is that there's nowhere to go back to. Of course, a memoir is an attempt to go back. Writing about the events of decades ago is a particularly particularly self-conscious kind of time travel you know there's no way to shed the accumulated experiences of intervening years a 49 year old can't begin to even pretend to be a seven-year-old in painting there's been a a worship of children's creativity for many decades the idea is that a child's way of making art is unencumbered by intellect self-consciousness doubt history or any other possible obstacle that is somehow pure I've never entirely bought this romantic notion I have no interest in returning to an innocent state nor to channel some naive version of creativity thinking about events that happened forty years ago is not a matter of returning to those times An an adult's idea of childhood has very little to do with that actual childhood. The idea of trying to recreate the sensations of that time from inside seems like some sort of magical possession ritual and holds very little appeal for me, were it even possible. So why write about the past at all? The simple answer is that it helps you make sense of the present. Everything you've done and every place you've been alters where you end up. This is where being from a place that no longer exists comes into play. Emigrating from the Soviet Union is the central event of my life. It always will be. It lurks in the background of everything else that's happened to me. It's the foundation of everything that I am. Coming to an understanding, or at least some peace, with immigration's mystery is the reason I'm writing this book. There's probably no way to to be free of one's past, but I hope there might be a way to be less haunted or hindered by it. No one else in my family sets as much stock by our immigration as I do. My parents were both 30 when we moved, and my brother was four. They were fully formed people while he was barely self-aware. All I can report on is how it appears from the outside, but none of them seem as affected by the event as I was and continue to be. My parents already knew who they were and Boris hadn't had time to decide yet. I was just in the process of becoming whoever it was I was going to be when the whole context of my existence was removed with very little warning or explanation. I was told we were going on vacation, on a trip, but we never came back. On the day of our departure, I ran away to the playground outside my grandparents' apartment building. I sensed something was wrong, that something was about to change in a significant way. This is not to assign blame. Most Jewish families offered the opportunity to leave the USSR in the 1970s would have leapt at the chance. There was no viable future for free-thinking people in that country, much less free-thinking minorities. It was a no-brainer that my parents had to leave and try to build a new life in America. But to a seven-year-old who knew nothing but life in Moscow, it was a catastrophe. I don't mean to say that my childhood in the USSR was a paradise from which my parents banished me. My mother claims I was a much more happy-go-lucky child before we left, but I suspect she has rose-colored glasses, the way mothers often do when remembering their children when they were very young. My father, on the other hand, is convinced that it, I'd have felt like an outsider, whether we'd moved or not. Some people can feel at home anywhere, whereas others are unsettled, even though they've never left their hometown. I ask both my father and mother about what I was like in order to see how it jives with what I recall. Of course, their memories have undoubtedly changed over time as well. So this is unstable ground to get a fix on. I doubt that my parents ever see their children clearly. I doubt that parents ever see their children clearly, not just my parents. Uh, There's so much investment of time, effort, and emotion, not to mention DNA, involved, that the picture that emerges is either overly sentimental, idealized, or otherwise altered to remove the real flaws that make us Who we are still because they were in their 20s and 30s during the time in question i have to rely on their recollections for at least a part of this picture i feel on more solid ground when asking them about their youth rather than my own hearing them talk about themselves helps me to fill in the gaps to picture them as people in my childhood world rather than just parents They're less sparing or forgiving with memories of themselves than they are with memories of me. It's difficult to explain to them that I have no interest in finding out whether I was a good boy or a bad boy or to fix something that was broken. What I'm after is a description of the events that led us from Moscow to Vienna to Rome, and then to Billerica, and finally to Brookline in Massachusetts. We crossed the divide of the Cold War just as the side we were coming from was beginning to disintegrate. Like a fading memory, the the disappearance of the, the Soviet Union makes the job of tracing my origins much more tenuous. It's as if someone took an eraser to the blueprint of a building and got rid of the first few stories. You can infer their structure by the visible floors above, The questions will always remain about the foundation. My father's father wasn't around much the first five years of my father's life. After World War II, many Jews in the Soviet Union were either stripped of their positions or sent off to work in remote regions. Stalin punished them for imagined crimes against the fatherland. The chief one being the ethnic lineage they had no control over. My grandfather was a tank engineer, a loyal career army man, but his faith in his country was repaid with banishment. He was a stern older man by the time my father was born. That coupled with his absence made my father afraid of him. Gentleness and intimacy were not currencies much in use in that household. Not on the male side in any case. My father decided early on that to thrive he needed to ask for almost nothing. Especially not emotional support. He never wanted to be a burden. Never wanted anyone to make a fuss over him. The thing to do was to shut up and do your work and the rest would take care of itself. My mother was the oldest of two girls. Her sister, Galia, was born a year after her. My mother was the pretty one, while her sister was considered the smart one and was thus her father's favorite. Insecurity about her intellect ate at mama all the way into her adult life. I heard about it from her all the time. She wanted to be a dancer when she was little, but was born with one leg shorter than the other, making that dream only a dream. She became a doctor instead. Caring for others instead of herself has always been one of her defining attributes. She met her first husband in medical school, but was about done with him by the time she met my father. According to her, I'm the result of their first night together. So I'll stop there. Um, yeah, uh, so as I said, I mean, the, the rest of the book, there's sort of short vignettes, episodes about various things, uh, childhood experiences, and then sort of early experiences with art. Stories about getting in trouble for stealing, sort of like all kinds of all kinds of stuff uh, that sort of ends up with art school and then working life and, and to, yeah, about, you know, to 20, it, 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 let's see, it ends in, it ends when I graduate from, from art school. So it kind of ends where my first book uh, about being a cab driver begins. And uh, Yeah, I think I'll stop there. Frank, what do you think? <laughs> Is that enough reading? Yeah, yeah. Does anyone have any questions asked to me? Now I need some questions there's or comments there. or something. Anyone have a question for the future? It's probably
1: a lot. I don't know. <laughs> Rick, there's a question. I was going
0: to say, could you have that one for your seminar next time? I'm sorry?
1: Did you use that book for seminar next time? This book I've not yet. Yeah, I've used it for his other book for my junior seminar. I used Hack for my junior seminar. But I've not used it for the... Uh, first year seminar. That's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? Using this book for first year seminar. Uh, oh yeah. Your, your uh, Soviet stamps
0: book. Yeah. Make sure. Yeah. Really it is. It's a great book. So. Yeah. And if you want to buy one, you can only <laughs> buy <it> from me. <laughs> like you can't. This is a book you can't get on Amazon. Because. Uh, because they don't distribute me. I tried try to deal with Amazon. That's a whole other... We could be here for hours and hours. I can talk shit about Amazon. But <laughs> so that, other, talk to us how you
1: actually... like? How do you distribute the book then?
0: <laughs> I, I have an online store. It's connected to my website. It's dimitrisamrov.com where, you know, if you place an order there, I will pack it into a, an envelope, put a stamp on it, and send it to you. Or, actually, for Chicago area people, like sometimes I'll get on my bike and deliver it. Just put it in your mailbox. Done that. Freaked out a few people doing that. <laughs> Which is really weird because, I mean, people are, we're so used to people delivering stuff to us now all the time, but when it's like the, the person that made it, like people get weirded out. They, they don't understand that, you know? Like the, the guy that made the book has to then deliver the book, but I just haven't, I haven't gotten to that next step where I have other people do that for me, I guess, you know? I don't make enough money to, to hire employees or delivery drivers yet, you know I mean, when I was a cab driver, I would I would deliver my cab book in the cab and I also had a bunch of the cab books with me so if I like if I had a good talk with a customer, I could show them the book. and I sold a lot of books that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah it's a it's a very very small scale operation. It's just me so like, I'm the president of the company, and I'm the janitor. <laughs> I'm the delivery boy, you know, and everything in between. So, yeah. I, I
1: have a good question. Um, yeah. Because we talk a lot about the like, outside influences, and, you know, parents and peers, and decisions you make in your life. Yeah. With your family, and your parents, how much of an influence were they uh, on you going into art?
0: Going into art, yeah. Um, I mean, when when I was a kid, they would they would drag me to museums. I mean, they were fans of art, but like I'm. I'm the only one in my family that that makes any kind of art, you know. They're big they're big music fan. My mom was a big music fan. She made me play violin for 8 years. Eight miserable years, but I have another whole book that's about music. That, so, another thing I do is I I draw I draw musicians playing. Like I bring my sketchbook to to shows and draw them. Uh, But the beginning of that book is this whole thing, there's a photograph of me as a six-year-old playing violin, and yeah, it's sort of, it's one of those things where, you know, some parents, you know, they make their kids kind of like live the life, their unrealized dreams, they put them in that. So, So with my mom and music, that was definitely the case. Like, she felt that her mom didn't make her play, so she was gonna make sure her kid played, you know? Just unfortunately, she chose the wrong instrument. <laughs> the Violin's a horrible instrument. <laughs> My
1: mom tried to get me
0: to play accordion. I like, <laughs> love so
1: to play accordion. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to play, actually. An accordion, yeah. yeah. Uh, any other questions for Dimitri? <laughs> um, I was going to ask. Yeah. Uh, Kind of jumping off of like inspirations, but this is more just like uh, the bodies of work that like uh, specifically inspired mm-hmm. you. So possibly like authors you've read that like got into writing like their specific writing style or like any artist you've seen either from, I don't know, just like pieces of art you like or the children's books that you read when you were a child.
0: And, uh, yeah, it's, it's that's like so big. You know, like, yeah.
1: But like if there's any
0: examples. I'm yeah. Just, like, uh, any big, big ones? Hmm. But yeah, the, yeah. The thing with the children's books, like, so when I was writing children's books when I was a kid, it was in Russian. So I don't know how many, of, I don't know how much of that stuff is translated. Uh, but like, I mean, like the, the, there are American equivalents, like stuff like like Shel Silverstein's, like Where the Sidewalk Ends, that kind of stuff, or Maurice Sendak's, well, you know, Where the Wild Things Are and uh from the night kitchen books like that that's kind of what i'm talking about like books where like the pictures are really really big and they're like they make at least they're at least as big a part of the book as the words it's sort of like like all my books i have seven books now and all of them have like at least like 50 illustrations some of them have like 200 you know they're just full of pictures so it's always that thing of like the pictures and the words and like wrestling between the two. Yeah. And yeah, with the with the artists, I mean, like it just it's it's sort of endless. And it's still like it's shifting that like all the time. I just uh I went I went to see my parents uh this I just came back yesterday. They still live in around the same same place in in Brookline, Massachusetts and uh I stopped in New York and uh went to a museum to see an Edward Hopper show and Edward Hopper has been like a big, big influence forever and ever, cause, cause I paint pictures of cities a lot, and he's just like one of the masters of that, painting cityscapes, like views out the window, views of buildings, how the light hits, how it changes as the day goes on, stuff like that. So he's a big one. There, I got one. I named one. (laughs) Yeah. Anyone else?
1: Any other questions? Now, like, films a big deal, right? Cause there's some
0: class that of movies. Like that play a big part in terms of anything? Yeah, I mean like, you know, I mean, you and I talk about movies all the time. I mean, movies are tough because it takes so many people to make a movie, you know? I guess yeah. I mean, like we both like when we were younger, like had these dreams like everybody does of like making movies, but then you find out about what it takes. Like it takes dozens and dozens of people. I mean now less I mean now you can you can make a movie on a phone there you know there are two hour movies like that look like they were shot on professional cameras they were made on iPhones now but yeah back back when I was younger I don't know I mean yeah I have a friend who's a film director that I've done stuff with and uh I just yeah most of the stuff I do is just it's solo, you know <laughs> and it it's just it seems to work better um, yeah i'm I'm sorry, I always go blank my mind just goes blank when it's like an open ended question like that, like it's best of like what's your favorite this like what's your favorite color like yeah, I don't know it's it's just too much, it's too much, you know like. <laughs> uh do do you guys talk about movies in in the class well, there's, there's, like has something some come up So like what what's one that's or come or up Can you think yeah. of one that's come up a movie? Um, not a movie just in terms not.
1: of profession and careers and stuff speak
0: of. Yeah, yeah, I mean now I, I mean I will say and part part of the way I make a living these days is reviewing movies, so I, I review movies sometimes for the Chicago reader. So I get to, you know, I watch a lot of movies <laughs> and, 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 and that, you know, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. But also, yeah, how you make a living and, <laughs> and the thing that like sort of like is important or it drives your life or always often two different things. There's very few people I would say that actually make their whole living from what they love, you know, and. So the movie reviewing and the book reviewing and the art reviewing, I wouldn't say is like. I mean, you know, it's for money. That's <laughs> what I'll say about it, and it sort of feels like. Part of me always feels like I'm working for the enemy, like being a critic. You know, when, when I write about something, like I'm betraying, like the filmmaker or the artist, because, it's they're they're doing the real work. You know, me judging it is, Eh, you know, it's for money. <laughs> now, can
1: you talk a little bit like about your last book you wrote?
0: About sure. Your, yeah. Yeah. So I just just published a book in Sept this September, called Paint by Numbers, and it's uh, sort of a, a fictionalized uh, account of some experiences I had with a couple of famous artists, and you know, like how shitty they were, basically, like. The hour world is filled with people with gigantic egos and that don't necessarily treat other people well and uh, it's it's based on experiences I had like kind of going back like 10 15 years it's stuff I've been chewing over in my head for a while and my last couple of books, that one and the one before, which is called old style which is which are story bar stories set in Chicago, are now I mean technically fiction. But they're fiction because they have to be because I have to have, I have to protect the guilty and have deniability. So if somebody says that it's about them, I can say no, it's not. That that's not you because that's not your name. You know, that's what. It's it's only recently that I figured out why why people have to write fiction and it's, you know, it's to protect themselves and to yeah have a little bit of distance from. <laughs> Not get killed by other people, or not get attacked. Uh, it's sort of necessary. Um, but yeah, it's yeah. It, each each book is sort of like presents its own challenges. That's a little bit different. But they're all they're part, part all parts of one whole, which is like like how you make it, you know, through through life by expressing yourself either in pictures or words, and how you make a living, how you deal with others. Those are the subjects, you know? Have you ever tried, um, like, wanting to publish your book
1: on social media or, like, you know, recommend it to people on social media?
0: Uh, I, I, okay, I, I've been on social media. I'm no longer on social media. I, I quit, like, coming up on eight years ago. I just, uh, it... It, it became like, you know, each each platform had, had its own, like, uh, sort of like a bunch of bad experiences connected to it. And, and actually, like, this new book, Paint by Numbers, like, the main, like, one of the main storylines in it was off of something that happened on Twitter, like an interaction with, like, you know, a quote-unquote famous person that went very, very bad, you know? So I, I, kinda, I stay away. <laughs> uh, I, I let other people do that. And I don't know. I mean, I don't know. What, what do you guys use? I mean, like, you know, Twitter is crashing and burning. I don't know if Twitter matters to you guys at all. But that was the last one I really used. Uh, I tried Instagram for a very short time, but it didn't do much for me. Like, what's, what do you like?
1: I feel like... Um there's TikTok that has grown on a lot of people and it's not just young individuals that use it but it's a lot of people and there's this thing that has been going viral it's called book TikTok mm. and there's a lot of go-followed um, yeah, people that review books mm. and some get a lot of you know views
0: and if like that help. I have a friend that just, yeah he had a book, something go viral on there he sold 10,000 books oh. in, in like In like a month. Yeah, (laughs) it's crazy. (laughs) I feel like you could, if you would want, reach out to the people and be like, hey, I
1: have this book, I'd love to send you a copy. You never know what would happen from there. um,
0: Do you know any of those people? (laughs) (laughs) Can you help? (laughs) I don't think the research is for free, you know?
1: Yeah. You can view TikTok without having an account. Yeah. You Mm can? Really? Yeah. Yeah. I deleted
0: it, but I just don't Why did you delete it? I deleted
1: my TikTok and my Instagram, and I just don't know.
0: Because it was taking up too much time? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's another reason why I got rid of all of the. Yeah. I got rid of my smartphone, too. Because I realized that once I didn't have the Twitter on it, there's not really any reason for me to have a thing in my pocket, you know? So now when, when I leave my house, I have, I'll show you what I've got. I've got this, which everybody thinks is a calculator, but it is. (laughs) It it does talk and text, and that's it. It doesn't have a camera on it. There's no way to get on the internet. Uh, uh, But I, you know, I spent, I make most of my money off off the computer one way or the other. So when, when I leave and go out into the world, I'd rather actually interact with people, you know? I mean, it's real sad. Like, I had breakfast this morning at some place, and... There's a couple next to me and they're both on their phones. Like, why are you even together? You know what I mean? It's a, it's a bummer. <laughs> so that's, but thanks for the tip about TikTok. I'm, I'm going to look into that. <laughs> Anyone? A lot of the
1: stuff on the talk does seem like very YA like, oriented, but yeah. you could start a new market. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> bring,
0: bring some variation in. Yeah. I mean, that sounds really interesting to me to read about. Yeah. Cool. All right. Any other questions
1: for Dimitri? We good. All right. Great. Well, thank you, Dimitri. Appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Thank you.